All right, segment went over. It's time for the second part of this. We call it the crossover. It's the first episode. Like I told you, it's going to be a, a hodgepodge of different things. And I decided for episode number one, I'm not going to be fair. See, I met this brother when we did Yale-Harvard grudge match. He's a Yale guy. I'm not going to bag on him for that. There's no reason to bag on him for that. But he is a two-time state player of the year in basketball, correct? One-time state player of the year, but two-time state champion. See, there we go. Yeah. See, that's why I'm glad that we get it straightened out. Also, Yale alumnus playing overseas in Israel, Brandon Sherrod. Welcome to the podcast, brother. What's good? Thanks for having me. Really appreciate you, uh, you letting me on. So the whole point of the crossover is to take somebody who is proficient in one area of life, and clearly you are a professional basketball player, but then talk about something totally different. And the reason why I say it's unfair is because I'm the one who found out, I think it was you who told me, you took a year off to sing acapella? Yeah, a lot of people don't even, you know, know what I'm talking about when I talk about the whiff and poofs of Yale. You gonna need to, you gonna need to elaborate for us. <laughs> yeah, so basically I, I went to Yale for, for three years, played basketball, and then in between my junior spring and, and my senior fall, I ended up auditioning for this group called the Whiff and Poofs. It's the oldest, or it was the oldest all-male collegiate acapella group in the country. I think it was founded in the early 1900s. And um, just a crazy history of big time musicians, songwriters, and Yale alumnus that were a part of it. So I, I auditioned for the group. I, I got in, the audition took like 15 minutes. Um, got a, 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 auditioned on a Thursday, got a call on a, on a Sunday, and then ended up um, getting in and embarked on a world tour where we went to 26 six countries and, and then also um, got to meet a lot of cool people, dignitaries, and went to some U.S. embassies abroad. Um, but I also had to take a year off of school and basketball to do it because our tour schedule was so intense. So it was pretty dope. So then along those lines, you why did you opt to lose a year of basketball to chase this? Yeah, I mean, when you go into collegiate sports, I feel like you lose a part of yourself, you know, you don't really have time to do anything other than basketball or whatever your sport is. And I found myself really struggling to uh, just have basketball as my main focus. I had a, a couple of groups that I auditioned for, acapella groups in my freshman year. And then I realized as we started to have like rehearsals, then we had practices, then we had uh, games and we were traveling and I had to make sure I was holding it down in the classroom. It was just too much. So. I decided to, you know, forego some of those musical projects to just focus on basketball. And I still kept my hands in some some different things and met some people along the way. But um, that year was just really formative for me because I needed that rest. Um, I needed a, a chance to pursue one of my dreams, which was to, you know, be a full-time musician and a touring musician as well. And then it was a perfect situation where I was able to take that year off of school so I didn't lose any eligibility. I was able to come back and play. And I got to travel the world and I got to experience everything that Yale had to offer and live like a like an actual college student for a year, too, because it's very intense when you're an athlete. So what year did you take off? What did you play? You played freshman and then took off sophomore? No, I played freshman, sophomore, junior and then took off what would have been my senior year. Whoa. And then came back and, and finished up. Yeah. So my coach was he, he was a little upset about it. You know, he was, he was like. <laughs> Because I came in with a group of guys, you know, Javier Duran, Armani Cotton, Will Childs Klein, Matt Townsend. We had a big class of guys who came in originally with me. And we had really started to, like, take Yale basketball from being 
unknown in the Ivy League ranks to being known. And so when we got to the point where it was, you know, our senior year, we were primed to win a championship. And so when I went to my coach and told him, he actually found out from reading the, the Yale Daily News. You yeah. don't know. Yeah, you let yeah, the media yeah. tell him first. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know. <laughs> I was. I'm like, you know, I got into the group. I'm sitting there. I'm like, you know, coach. My coach. I don't need to tell my coach. I don't need to tell anybody. I think I told my best friend. Right. And maybe um, my girlfriend at the time that I was auditioning. So I was like, if I get in, I'll figure that out later. But if I don't get in, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No one's. No one's got to know. So um, after I got in, I wake up the next day and there's an article in the Yale Daily News saying like athlete gets into the whiffing poofs of Yale. And I'm like, oh, my God. They put it on the front page? Yeah, I'm front, front, <laughs> I was on Front Street. So I'm like, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I'm just like, I'm another person who got in. But they're, obviously, you have to take a year off of school. So you know, people are thinking, what is this guy going to do? This is unprecedented because athletes don't usually try out. And I was also a contributing member of the team, too. Right. I wasn't sitting the bench. So that was another thing. And then um, I went to my coach. He was like, can you forego um, this opportunity for a year, can you defer and then go and take it like after you're done? He was like, I was like, that's not how it works. You know, like, like this is not how it's gonna go down. And uh, what, what, one thing that he told me when I was getting recruited to Yale was that Yale affords you with certain opportunities that are once in a lifetime and you can't find anywhere else. And so when he presented me with the option of deferring, I was like, coach, like now you know, when I was, a, when I was about to be a freshman, when you were recruiting me to come here, when I was about to commit, you told me, Yale affords you with certain opportunities you can't pass up, and this is one of them. So um, I was pretty determined after I, I told them to, I, that I was going to come back. He asked me if I was going to quit the team or if it was just like you know a break. So I assured him of that, and then from there we were we were rocking. Mind you, you played on how many Ivy League championship teams again? That was just just the one. But the year before, like that year, I ended up taking off. They won a share of the Ivy League championship, and they lost to Harvard in like a play-in play game to play get into the. Yeah. yeah, it's not like now where they got the tournament. Like those dudes are living so so nicely. Like it wasn't <laughs> like that back in the day. You had to like win the league for real. So, um, but it was a great opportunity, and I, honestly. It changed my life. I hadn't traveled outside the country before, and going from zero countries to 26 in one year is crazy. So I was very, very blessed um, on some real. So, do you do anything musically now? Because now that you're a pro, your time is your own. Right. But do you do anything in the medium now? Yeah. So my my rookie year when I went to Italy, um, I recorded a cover album. We did eight songs in English and two in Italian. And uh, we won an award. It was the Paolo Borsellino Prize for social engagement. And Paolo Borsellino was a, a journalist who was killed by the mafia when he spoke out against them. But through that award, we rose uh, 10,000 euros and 5,000 went to a school in a city that had been affected by an earthquake. The other 5,000 I brought back to America and then bought my old high school like a new PA system and speakers mm. and stuff like that. And then donated um, some basketballs to one of my friends like um, basketball training companies as well. So the philanthropic efforts were there and the musical piece was there too. Actually, one of the girls um, who sang background on it, her father was a piano player and he also sang, but she ended up winning X Factor um, Italy. And now is like famous. So shout out to Elisa if she listens to this, but um, it's just an incredible, incredible opportunity. So did that and then I released a couple of singles when I was in Italy my third year and then um, have like produced and co-wrote on a bunch of projects with artists both like in Israel, Italy, and uh, and in America. So I'm keeping my hands in the in the pot. It's so interesting because when people talk about balance, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and I think you can speak to this because sometimes when we look at athletes, right? If you're not living, breathing, 
sweating your sport 24-7, it's going to be as if, oh, you're not really committed to yeah. it. Like, I feel like when people watch The Last Dance, right? right. <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and my favorite line in The Last Dance is when Michael Jordan goes, oh, well, you know, people say, we well, might not have been a good teammate. Oh, that mm. might not have been a nice guy. Mm. Well, that's you because you never won anything. <laughs> I was like, yo! <laughs> yeah, Mike Wild. Mike Wild for that. <laughs> for real. I think, I think the interesting thing is that, um, you know, people should never assume that athletes are monoliths. Like I say this all the time. At, at, at base, first and foremost, we're human. So like there's already differences that we have naturally based on where, we're, where we were born, how we grew up, what we believe, et cetera. Then we're basketball players and that's not who we are, it's what we do. So as long as you're you know, taking that time to focus in on your craft and you're performing well on the court and understanding that it's still a game and having some, some level of fun with it, I think it's more than okay to have multiple interests outside of just playing basketball. And then when you look at it too, you know, the game's gonna stop someday. So I would much rather have a plethora of interests that I'm totally into aside from basketball as opposed to putting all my eggs in one basket. And then when it's over, I'm like, what, do I, what else do I have to show for my life experience? Um, or what else do I have to show for the interests that I've tried to cultivate or the gifts that God has given me? So. Um, I'm, I'm just a huge proponent of like people being multifaceted and and um, and making sure that they're not just locked in on the, on the game all the time because there's more to life than just basketball. Let's start at the beginning. When when did music actually start being a thing for you? Yeah, when I was young, I grew up in church and my mom uh, would just be singing around the house. My mom's a big time singer. She led praise and worship. She was in a group before um, we were had any of the kids were born, and she actually threw that to the side to become a mom, to become a believing woman, and then just wrote, like literally raised us in the church. So I learned how to play piano in church. I learned how to play drum set. That was my first instrument. And I learned how to harmonize and then uh, or, uh, arrange music. So I was leading praise and worship for a while. And then over time, you just learn how to perform on the fly. So my, my musical ear got a lot better because you can't be back there and Bishop is in the key A flat and then you went C. You know what I'm saying? You, you can't be a Bishop. Come, come on now. That's you know? a that's a shock to somebody. Right. Please know your keys. <laughs> right, right, it, it right. Happens. For the keys players, like you know, you got to be, you got to come correct. So just having the ability to improv and and um, and being able to to galvanize people to like sing the right notes and like understanding some theory, but then also seeing how gospel was the base for R and B and Neo Soul. I couldn't even listen to anything else until I was like 13, for real. Hey. You know, we ain't play that in the house, you know what I'm saying? So um, that's when it started for me, back, back in church, and that's kind of where, um, you know, my, my base has really always been when it comes to music. If you could look back at your young, if your younger self could look at you now, do you think they'd be super pleased? Do you think they'd be like, yo, what happened? What do you think? Yeah, they'd be like, yo, what happened? <laughs> for real. Yeah, I was, I was, um, I didn't really play sports growing up. I played baseball and soccer. I didn't start playing basketball until I was 14. Whoa. So like a lot of people don't know that I'm a super late bloomer when it comes to um, you know the sport. And I feel like I'm still learning things now, even at 30, which is crazy. So uh, my younger self would have been like, there's no way that you would play Division one basketball. There's no way you'd be an overseas athlete. There's no way that you'd be able to, to have the athletic piece and the musical piece still a part of your life. And there's no way that you would have all this life experience uh, up to this point. So. I think my younger self would definitely be proud of, of the man that I've become. Um, I think it might be slightly upset that I didn't pursue music as like a career path though, because I feel like that was something I thought about um, a lot as a kid. A lot, I have one more question. Yeah. Do you see 
do you see that actually being a thing after your plan dance are done? Because you're mm-hmm. still in, you're still pretty much in the prime of your career. Right, right. Now, I, I don't know. I honestly prefer songwriting and like producing as opposed to me being like the the star or like the the focal point of any group or even me being like a like a solo artist like that doesn't necessarily attract me as much as like the actual process of creating the tracks does because i just love the feel of being able to be in a studio or at the crib and like find the right chords and find the right beat that fits and get into that pocket and like bop out and then share with somebody like yo i want to write to that or like we're now writing to the song that we just made like five to 10 minutes ago. So I love that process for me. That's refreshing, gives me a lot of life. Um, But as a solo artist, I just don't know, I don't even know if I really want that lifestyle for real. Mm. That's another thing. That is fair. I mean, speaking of lifestyles, we we might as well go back to the sports (laughs) bit because that was not going to be avoidable. (laughs) So I have to ask first and foremost, as a former collegiate student athlete i don't like the term myself but i'm just mm-hmm. using it because habit yeah the idea of nil it must be crazy man listen i i would have made a lot of money had there been the nil and i remember i was doing when i got into the whiffing poofs also like it wasn't just a local story like i, I got national acclaim for that because i was taking a division one athlete takes a year off to sing it's like where do you well where you where you see that at like where they do that at for real so I went on uh, CBS, but I had invitations from Good Morning America, um, had an invitation from Saturday Night Live, all sorts of like crazy wow. opportunities. But I can only realize one because of the bread, you know, like they, I, that would have been an improper benefit had I received any money for an appearance on any of those shows. But like the marketability of an athlete, a singer who like takes a year off and then comes back. And then, you know, I found a lot of success my senior year. I could imagine that going very well getting locked into local businesses, et cetera. So, you know, kudos to these kids for making the money, but I'm sick, you know, I want, <laughs> I want reparations for real. Like, <laughs> like for real, crazy. like, yeah, like no, no cap. I really, I also think that there maybe should be something like, you know, um, that, that, that's, that would be years in the works, but some way to maybe compensate certain athletes that didn't get to cash out on opportunities that they had. Um, because there are so many people that would have done really well and I think the game would have changed. We would have been able to see like the real impacts and effects of NIL uh, now, as opposed to, you know, the next five to 10 years, we're still gonna be figuring it out. And it might be like a pay for play sort of situation. And that's kind of being seen in like the transfer portal, et cetera. See, what's so interesting about that for me is that I don't think when it comes to NIL that we as a society Mm-hmm. really are willing to embrace that. Yeah. Because the idea of playing something for, oh, for the love of it, for the fun of it, it's all cool until, really, in my opinion, until you get to high school. Right. Because once you get to high school, right. it's a pseudo-professional sport. No doubt. You're pulling in pro concepts. You want your kids to train as if they're playing at the, lex- the next level, even if they never play at the next level. Right. So that if they say, oh, I went to this high school, they go, whoa, that means something. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure if we are comfortable with the fact that these are young adults with an opportunity to... To change their lives. I mean, someone yeah. like Flaug- Flaugier Johnson is dropping Man, records. She making, she making bread, bro. And I was just thinking about like Flaugier, that could, you know what I'm saying? I could have been doing right. something similar. We could have been at, we could have been at Sony. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So my thing is, my thing is like, um, unfortunately, the world that we live in forces kids to grow up much faster than they actually should. And so 
Um, it's just really a part, it's a new part of the game. And so now, since there are new rules, you're gonna start to see new advents of agents and, and NIL companies and, and then schools that are really keen on getting the best talent. Um, and that helps some people, but also can hurt a lot of industries too. And I also think the pressures of, of giving a kid X amount of dollars and them not really knowing what to do with it, that's really harmful if you don't have a way to educate or um, take care of them or you don't want people to like be predators and trying to like take their bread either. So there's a lot of dynamics. I think it's um, at the end of the, end of the day, good because they should be making money off their image and likeness if the university can be making bread off of their performance. I mean, here's here's an interesting thing that I kind of not quite sure what to deal with because, you know, Ivy League schools, yes, they are academic institutions and however the bread works for athletics, it works for athletics, but they are all technically mid-major schools. Right. For, and for those who are kind of unfamiliar, your, your, your Power 5 schools, the ones that are on national TV, that's what's considered a Power 5 school. Right. Those are the ones that signed... The, the, the billion dollar deals with all the broadcast networks and yep, broadcasting yep. games. But the mid-majors, like the A-10 schools, the NEC, well, NEC school would actually be low major, but the yeah, Ivy yeah. League schools would, would be that mid-major. So I'm still trying to figure out where they come into play or, or how they even manage to find their footing in this landscape. You know what's interesting? So the NIL doesn't apply really to the Ivy League because kids have to pay to go there. There's no, there aren't any full athletic scholarships that kids receive. Whoa. So any sort of NIL deal would have to be like an outside company from the area saying, hey, we want to like sponsor this kid or like pay them X amount for a social media post. And the school has to approve it or deny it? The school has to approve. Yeah, I'm sure through compliance. But like that's what that's why the, the landscape of college basketball is changing. I've talked to Coach Jones, um, shout out Coach James Jones, Yale men's basketball. And he said that based on the current rules, they're not really affected by the NIL. So if a kid comes to Yale, they're likely not coming to Yale just so that they can get some bread. You know, they're thinking about that 40-year decision. It's not just a four-year one. They're thinking about that next 40 years where all their connections, networking, pedigree, history, all the, the beautiful things that comes with a Yale degree, that's gonna come into play. A kid who's going to maybe like Sacred Heart or Fairfield, that might come into play, like them trying to make some actual bread while they're in school because they may not be able to like max out that potential in the professional ranks. So, and then let's and let's even put it like this because since there is no longer a restriction, I believe when you transfer the first time, right, to a different school, no one's going to be hopping into Yale and then dipping after it. No, it's 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 almost impossible to like transfer into an Ivy League school. It's very difficult. Yeah. And that's just grades, compliance or what? Yeah, grades, compliance, um uh, just also, I think a lot of schools, especially Ivy League schools, are very set on the number of, of kids they're going to admit every year. And there's also a limited amount of transfers that they actually accept. But the, oh, wow. you know, but the, the, the actual qualifications that you need to do that are very stringent. So it's, it's kind of, in my opinion, almost impossible to get in as a transfer. So looking at where college basketball is as someone who was a big part of it, do you think it's in a positive is it going in a positive direction? Is it? Is it not? Is it because there's no real straight answer? But just yeah. from what you see, I think it's difficult because I feel like college used to be the only way to develop a kid to get him ready for the league. Now you have G League Ignite. Now you have kids going overseas. Now you have um, 
overtime, you know, there's all these different entities that are now competing with a collegiate experience. So like a kid is think if a kid's really talented and he's thinking he's going to the league, why would he go to school? You know, like what does that benefit him um, if he can make millions or hundreds of thousands now uh, before he even tries out to go to the NBA draft or go overseas? I think it's way more advantageous. And it also allows you to focus more on just like basketball. And I'm sure they have some resources. I don't know for sure, but I'm sure they have some resources that also allow these kids to set themselves up for success after basketball too, because they do a great job at like the NBA PA um, and, other, and other spaces and making sure that the next generation is equipped with the skills to be successful. So I think it's hard uh, to, to look at the collegiate basketball landscape because we don't know if the talent's actually gonna continue to, to come there. Shoot, do you remember when Brandon Jennings went yes. overseas? I remember the reaction to that was so yeah. visceral. Like why would he pass up playing at UCLA? Come on. Versus going I believe he went to Australia? He was I in Rome. He's in Italy. He was in Italy. Yeah. Thank you. Signed a crazy deal. Like got a crazy bag. And it was and again for him, he he knew he wasn't trying to go to school to get a degree, you know? Like he wanted to play, he wanted to hoop. So it made it makes more sense. And you, even if you look at it overseas, they don't even have collegiate sports. Like that's not a thing. Like you, if you're talented and you're a, a youth player, you'll go through high school. But then after that, you're a part of your, like your club for all those years. So you start to work out with like grown men. So if that if you have that level of preparation, um, I think it was a, a much better move for him. But I think it's about people's priorities, you know? If you wanna get a degree, Yale's a great place. All these colleges are great places to get a, get a degree. But if you don't want to get that, you know, I would go elsewhere, especially if you have the talent. When you look at how people sort of judge the level of talent, because it's kind of wild to me that the game has changed so much that we are passing up. And this, I guess, is just a basketball philosophy thing mm -hmm. for me. I don't understand why we are passing up mid-range jumpers Yeah, to go back an extra 5, 10 feet right. for kids who can't shoot. Just threes versus twos. I mean, I know some people are stats guys, analytic, analytics guys, but the best scorers... And if that you feels look, like, analytics feels like a cuss word. Yeah, yeah facts. Like <laughs> no, nah, that's, that's real. That's real. I'm really a guy that's like, you know, you want to get the best possible shot you know regard, regardless of if it's a three or a two you know and i also think if you look at like the best scores in the league even they're mid-range assassins devin booker kd yeah. jason tatum jalen brown jimmy butler they these guys shoot threes for sure but a high percentage of their shots that they take are within the mid-range so i think it's um it's really based on preference and some coaches really believe in threes and layups but in my opinion I think the mid-range is, is still one of the best shots you can take if, if you're consistent enough. Well, speaking of those last three guys, I'm not going to hold you. The, the Boston Celtics get on my nerves. Yeah, and they made me sick yesterday, too. You a Celtics fan? No, I'm okay, not. I'm okay, not. I'm a, okay. I'm a Utah, right. Utah Jazz fan. That's, they, that's, no, no, no. They, you they make explain me, that. You they make me that. sick every, every year. We just we blow it in the playoffs. Um, my coach, when I was in high school, told me to watch tape of Karl Malone because he wanted me to play like him. I fell in love with Karl Malone's game. Ended up being a Utah Jazz fan. Met another guy, Phil Gaetano. We played at Choke together for our postgraduate year. He was kind of short, white guy. We was like Stockton Malone. Okay. So then I was really locked in. <laughs> and, I, and then then from there, I just had a love for the Jazz. But, um, you know, they always perform well in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, we just lay an egg. So uh, it's been disappointing. I just don't understand what it is. Here's why I was so frustrated with the Celtics, mm -hmm. right? Stop playing with your food. 
<laughs> Facts. And it's not even Facts. that the Heat aren't a good team. Clearly, they're a good team. They won the series. Mm-hmm. But if you have the talent to, to, to push forward, then why are you messing around? No, I agree. If it wasn't for Derek White bailing them out with a putback where Martin should have boxed, boxed them out. out. Yeah. But yeah. He, I think he made I think I think uh, Gabe Vincent definitely picked him up in <laughs> game seven. But like it's something I can't I can't wrap my mind around. Yeah, I feel like for them too, they went away from their bread and butter. You know, Jason Tatum took I think twelve shots on the game, and you can't have that. He was hurt, granted. You know, you kind of shared that after, but um, and in games past too, the ones that they lost earlier in the series, like he wasn't involved in the fourth quarter. They took too many threes, and when they're not hitting threes, they weren't effective. When they were hitting threes, they won those three games, and you can't live and die by that. And expect to just, you know, get a game seven at home at the crib, you know? That at the crib. At the crib. At the crib. All that work to, to lose at the crib. And, and, By and, double and, yeah, digits. I know, like in convincing fashion, right? Like not even keeping it close. So, but I think that's a testament of a team that like had to really change itself, you know, had to switch its identity to be successful. And then, you know, it just didn't pan out at the end. But I love Miami. I love how they play. I think they're a testament. And Denver as well as the game being a team sport, like, Everybody on that on, the, on that roster contributes in some way. Like you see the guys coming off the bench, instant instant production, defense all the time, taking charges. Who does that? Right. In the league, right? You when, know. When it comes to the Nuggets, can can we as a society, or at least those who are living on the East Coast, maybe Central Time Zone, can we just admit that we weren't watching Nikola Jokic this year? Not facts. No, when was Denver on national? How many times was Denver on national TV? I, I couldn't count. And were you up to watch it? It's Again, a I couldn't game. count. Right, exactly. And I worked night side, and yeah. I can't even because it was the narrative to me felt so lazy. Mm-hmm. Because take take the whole Kendrick Perkins, JJ Reddick conversation yep. out of it, right? Because there there is truth to the idea that when the predominant part of the media doesn't look like the players, mm-hmm. you may think, oh, bias will reside with the one player that it sure. feels like they resonate with. Sure. The catch is, um, Jokic was doing stuff we've never seen before. Facts. And he still is. Right. And everyone seems so surprised that they steamrolled their way to the to the finals. Yeah, it's not rocket science, man. If you're if you're cold, you're cold. And I feel like people are always looking for ways to critique other folks' games. He's too slow. He doesn't play defense. He's not athletic enough. And then you watch him play, and he makes all the right plays. Like, there's not a there's not a flaw in his game, to be honest with you. And maybe it's like a little bit of foot speed, but they're so good, and they have such a great team and such great length that they cover him up. And he's also a pretty good defender in the post. So I just think people – you could tell people don't watch enough basketball. Hey. You know, especially some of these writers. Come, uh, come with you it. Know, you know, you could tell that people um, have their own narratives that they want to run with, and they kind of make choices on who they want to win the MVP or some of these individual awards before these the votes actually come out. And then also, um, you have to you have to think about some of the bias that people have about international players, which in my opinion is is wild because I feel like the kids that come out of all these youth programs are way more equipped to play at the next level than a high school kid from America or even some of these collegiate players that don't know how to play the game. You know, like overseas, I can I can attest to it. I've been in Rome, youth development club, Stella Azzurra, shout out Coach Germano. They've had uh, Andrea Barnarni. Um, Danilo Gallinari, um, they just had a kid, Yannick Inyosa, who got drafted by the Wizards last year in like the second round. So they've had all this talent pouring through. And what are they doing every day? They're working on stuff that 
translates to the league or translates to EuroLeague or translates to the European game, which is a lot tougher to play, in my opinion, than the ticky-tack stuff that you see on NBA TV every night. So, um, yeah, I think I'll give that man his flowers and his respect. He's a killer. He's a killer, too. He just does it. He does it kind of like silently, too, which is wild. Like he doesn't really talk junk or anything like that. I would be shocked because if I was his size, I remember, I remember <laughs> hearing uh, it was when I think the Denver were playing the Jazz back when Rudy Gobert was on the team. Yeah. Sorry for bringing up bad memories. Oh, man, that's bad. But he, but he was like, yo, I got him. And apparently Jokic says, brother, I have 47. Right, <laughs> which is crazy, right? It just. But you look at the stat sheet, though, and you'll be watching the game, and you don't think he has, like, you know, 30. And then you look at the end, and it's like 35, 15, and 12. It's like, how? How did that happen? He's just, he's just consistent. Silent assassin. When it comes to the international game particularly, like I feel as though because Carmelo Anthony did not win a championship, and yes, I'm a Knicks fan, it is what okay, it is. Okay, yeah. Like, Sorry for you we well. Ha- well, trust me. <laughs> we did not appreciate him when we had him. Right. And I will also admit that he wasn't always what the Knicks needed. Mm-hmm. But while we had him, we didn't realize how good it was. Because mm-hmm. guess what? If we had prime Carmelo Anthony on this Knicks team as comprised, oh, I think, I think we're it would in the finals yeah, yeah. Because the Knicks are just missing that one really dynamic piece on offense. I agree. That like that, but Jalen Brunson can only do so much. Hello. And I think Julius Randle is too much of a wild card. <laughs> I <laughs> feel like, seen. I be getting mad watching him play. He don't move the ball yeah, enough. Yeah, he be wilding. He be wilding. And sometimes he'll take like a, something wild and he makes it. It's like, wow, that was tough. And then the next time he takes it, it's like, that was a you terrible just, you shot. Just have, yeah, I right. just have my head in my hands. Yeah, you got to live with it. And the thing that kills me to this day, shout out to Jalen Brunson for being a consummate yeah. New York. He is a consummate yeah, he's a New real York one. point guard. Mm-hmm. Because he still had 46. I think he had like 46 or 10, something wild like that. And the reason that they turned the ball over is because he tried to feed Julius Randle. Which is wild. He tried to feed Julius Randle. But, but back to Carmelo <laughs> Anthony, right? The reason why I don't think he gets his flowers is because we look at his work in the league and go, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. But to talk about the skill translation. Right. In international play, he was untouchable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of dudes in the league, too. I think the, the biggest difference that you'll find between NBA basketball and overseas basketball is the athleticism. Just like period. League is like creme de la creme. These dudes are taking off just inside the free throw line, dunking on people's heads, et cetera. But overseas, you can't, it's not the same. So like you have a defensive three seconds in the, in the league. Overseas, you can sit in the lane as long as you want. So imagine DeAndre Jordan or any footer like just sitting in the paint the entire time. It's like, go ahead, challenge me. I'm at the rim, I'm here. And so you gotta really develop a different type of game to to combat those differences. And so I think for Carmelo, when he was overseas, he was way more comfortable because guys are smaller, they're not as quick, they're not as athletic. And then um, you just forget that he's he was one of the top 10 players in the world at that time. You know, So I, I think um, his legacy isn't tarnished because he didn't win a championship. I think like people place too much onus on like winning a chip because it takes more than just being a good player. It takes like timing, um, pieces, coaching, um, luck. So <laughs> you can't get you can't knock him for real. But um, yeah, he's one of the all time greats. I think he's he's probably top ten to fifteen scorers. He's a little bit more high volume than I think I like personally, but Fair. very very talented. So along those lines, 
What does the next year and change look like for you? Because we were, mm-hmm. we were talking before we got started yep. that you will be back in Israel for yep. for the for the fall into the winter, right? Yep, fall into the winter. Yeah, so I signed with the same team that I just played for for the last couple of months, Maccabi Rehovot in uh, the Lemon League in Israel. So I'll be back there this September, and then we'll you know in 2024 end up I think in April or May, depending on how the playoffs go. Excellent. So, and for those who are unfamiliar, myself a bit included. Mm-hmm. The overseas contracts, is it year-to-year? Year? Are there yeah. multi-year deals? Like, what's the deal with that? Yeah, there are multi-year deals that some guys sign, but it's rare. It's usually just a one-year situation, and a lot of that is based on the idea or just the fact that every year teams either get elevated to the top division or next level, and certain teams get relegated and sent down. So, like, it's not like in the NBA where you're, like, the the Detroit Pistons or like the Hornets, right? Like, like if they were trash overseas, like they'd be in they'd the be G- they'd, G- they'd be in the G, they'd be in the G. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think honestly, I think that adds another level of pressure and it forces you to play harder. You know, because I came over to play in Israel this past uh, this past year for two months because the team didn't want to get relegated, oh. and they were like, "We need you to help save the team." And we saved, so that was lit. So why didn't they call you before? Be uh, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> exactly. I was I was at the crib. I also think that was helpful just in me um, again being multifaceted and like being able to develop other things off the court. Like I was able to think about like what my life would look like post basketball, and so now I'm in a much better position with my basketball training company, BS35 Basketball. And then also with uh, some other ventures that I have, I have a mentorship program also in Bridgeport that I was able to develop. And I needed that time at home to really like lock in and, and make sure I was I was handling business off the court. Excellent, excellent. So we are gonna be happy to be looking for you. I just don't quite know what the weather is. Is the weather better in Israel than it yes, is up here? Yes, 1000%. Then enjoy yeah. all of it. <laughs> But for people to keep up with you, how can they find you? How can they keep up with you? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at brod35, B-R-O-D-3-5. Same on Twitter, same on Snapchat. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. Facebook, Brandon Tyler Sherrod. I know what I'm saying, but I do have a, a Facebook page. You can follow me just Brandon Sherrod. So, yeah, check me out. Well, Brandon, we appreciate you. Thanks for being the first guest on the crossover it's on the honor. pod, man. It's, 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 it's going to be real, real good, man.